to SpursCast, episode 532. My name is Paul Garcia and I am the host of SpursCast. Joining me for this episode in studio is Project Spurs' Colin Reed. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. I just made a, a very lengthy drive uh, today that you and I recorded this on Wednesday. I'm driving from El Paso, which is like a... from El Paso, San Antonio is like almost a seven and a half hour drive. So, you know, outside of the long drive, I'm doing well. Yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, don't have off for spring break, but I've enjoyed the traffic being a lot less after work. That's uh, always a benefit. Yeah, I noticed that when I was driving back into San Antonio that it wasn't, even though it was almost like 5 o'clock, it wasn't too bad coming back into the city. Yeah. All right, Colin, so let's go to uh, – before we begin this episode, actually, I want to give a, a quick shout-out to um, those SpursCast listeners who are kind of in the San Antonio, Austin area, Corpus, you know, just around San Antonio, basically, you can get here on one specific day. And that day is March 24th. If you make your way to the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center – uh, on March 24th, we're going to be hosting a Spurs Cast live episode. I'm going to be joined by co-host Anthony A. of Energy 94.1, uh, also actor Jesse Borrego, and New York Times bestselling author Shay Serrano. So again, that'll be March 24th at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center from 5 to 7 p.m. And if you stay after the, the Spurs Cast that day, we're actually going to uh, sh- broadcast the uh, Spurs Celtics game as well. So so those of you that attend that event uh, can watch that game also. All right, Colin, let's go to begin. We have uh, we have five topics. You know, it's been a while since I've had you here in the studio to, to record, so I want to go through a lot of different um, parts of the Spurs right now and how, and how they're doing. So let's go, to, let's go ahead and begin like how we always do, which is recapping the last three games that the Spurs played. Uh, they, they actually won their last three games. Uh, and surprisingly, two of those were on the road because the Spurs don't have a great road record. So go back to last Wednesday. They beat the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. Um, the Spurs won by seven that game, 111-104. Derek White had a career-high six blocks that night. And we're going to talk about White a little bit more and what some of those numbers mean. Then on Sunday, the Spurs hosted the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they beat the Bucks also by seven, 121-114. And this is a big win for San Antonio because not only does Milwaukee have the best record in the league, uh, but also the fact that they did this without Rudy Gay, who was out with um, illness, which Pop says is basically the flu. Then on Tuesday, the Spurs went back on the road. And even though they were the favorites, they did beat the Dallas Mavericks 112-105. They got a pretty early um, you know, 15-point lead, but then that kind of fell apart. Dallas kind of made it a little competitive there at the end. But the Spurs did hold on to the win, for the win, should I say. And again, they did beat, uh, they, they were without Rudy Gay. So, Colin, overall, the Spurs are now on a, on a season-best six-game winning streak. Um, they've led by double digits in all six of those last uh, of those games. They've held six of their last seven opponents below 110 points, so we can tell that the defense is working, this new scheme that Pop used, is using. They're 39-29 overall the night that you're, you and I are recording this. They're sixth in the Western Conference standings, and they're only three and a half games from third from having home court in the first round, who, who, are, who is currently held by the Houston Rockets. And they're further away from falling out of the playoff race. They're now five games back from the Sac- I mean, five games ahead of the Sacramento Kings, who are in ninth. So, I know it's a lot of information. What have your been impressions uh, on the Spurs lately? So, I think that last night's win against the Mavs is actually kind of you know you you look at it and, and you see oh it's a lottery team. But uh, last week when I was writing the article about how well teams do at home versus on the road offensively, I found out that. The Mavs actually, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but they actually have a, a pretty dang good record at home. I think they already have 20 home wins. Uh, so, you know, they have a winning record, a pretty healthy winning record at home. Um, and, you know, they came in there and won by only seven points. And really, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this today, but probably the worst game of, of Luka Doncic's career so far. So 
that was actually probably close to being a tight game where uh, they might have had some uh, trouble with that, but they, they did come away with the win, and that, that does end up being an uh, impressive win. But I think that the Bucks win might have been their their most impressive win of the season. They actually came really close to winning against Milwaukee back in November. Yeah, um, I remember that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it was uh, Brogdon kind of hit a game-winning shot, yeah. and before that it was it was really tight. So they've played them close uh, both times this season, but I think that that, you know, you never want to say like, oh, this game is so important, this game's not. I think that that just might be a good measuring stick for them in terms of where they are in their development you know, Milwaukee was on the second game of, uh, I think, road and road back-to-back, so they mm-hmm. weren't in perfect condition. But, but you know, all in all, three impressive wins. Yeah, for sure. And, li- and like you mentioned, you know, um, they had played Milwaukee close, uh, you know, like, like you said there, where they were up by 10 with seven minutes to go back in Milwaukee. So for them to come out and, and get that win, even though, yeah, you're right, Milwaukee was in second out of back-to-back. And then Dallas, I could definitely tell that Luka was – Definitely not, because he, he had come in with an injury. He was almost like questionable to even play that game. Uh, however, you do got to give credit to Derek White. I mean, he's done a great job um, holding Luka Doncic lately. Then he also had Trey Young earlier last week had to defend, and, and he held him to some poor shooting numbers as well. So part of that does, too, go to the credit of Derek White. And, and like we've said, uh, the Spurs have really just um, been putting it together now. So one thing that's really helped them get these wins, Colin, is their defense. Um, Pop kind of changed the defensive approach if you go way back to the uh, Brooklyn game. Uh, where he started, he kind of started tinkering with the with the starting lineup. Where at first he started Lamarcus and Davis Bertans, but then uh, he's kind of settled on having Lamarcus and and Jakob Pertl next to each other, and they've been uh, side by side for these last for most of these last six games, where the Spurs are, are six and zero um, on this winning streak. So so some numbers that that definitely uh, pop out to me. I want to get your thoughts on these. Um, so defensive rating, obviously we can tell they're playing well. Uh, they're overall they're twenty third right now during this winning streak. They're fourth best defensively. Free throw rate, you know, they're, they're already a good um, team of not letting opponents get to the free throw line. They were second for the year right now, uh, first during this winning streak. Here's the big thing that really, really pops out to me. Um, let's look at rim accuracy for the opponents. So, normally teams shoot 64% at the rim against the Spurs, which is 21st. Bad. Right now, during this um, winning streak, their teams are only shooting 58% of the, at the rim, which is fourth best in the league. And again, that shows, again, having another seven-footer right next to LaMarcus, two big traditional guys, is having an impact on the accuracy. The frequency is kind of staying the same for, for both um, the season and this last six games. Uh, mid-range has fallen for the opponents. Uh, usually they shoot 43%, 29th. Now they're shooting 39%, which is about 13th. But here's a big one. Uh... The, the frequency of threes that the Spurs are giving up. So for the season, they're only they're, they're allowing teams to shoot 26% of their above-the-break threes on them, which is 21st. During this stretch of the last six games, that has increased. Teams are now shooting 32% from three on above-the-break threes, should I say, which is 29th. So the Spurs, are by playing this big, this, this big man, these two big, big, should I say, they're letting teams shoot more threes above-the-break threes, which are the harder threes to make, uh, and they're still taking away the, the corner threes at a top-ten level. Look at the accuracy percentage, though, on, the, on those above-the-break threes for the teams. Over the season, they shoot 36% from there, which is t- which makes the Spurs 24th. Right now, they're shooting 33.5%, which is, makes the Spurs 9th. So, so you're almost seeing a gamble very much similar to what the Milwaukee Bucks do on defense, which is saying, we're not going to let you get to the paint or get easy shots at the rim. We're not going to let you get to the free throw line. And we're only going to give you mid-range and above-the-break the threes, and it's up to you if you're going to beat us that way. What do you think about that? Yeah, and I think a lot of that is personnel. You know, I think that you you look at the Bucks and they have a lot of really strong individual defenders. You know, actually, pretty much every position with how they're playing uh, them in the starting lineup. And 
I think that's a big deal for the Spurs too. You know, I think that maybe they would have liked to play this way the whole year. I think when when I watched their defense when it was really struggling, it seemed like the shots they were giving up weren't because they were forcing opponents to shoot those shots, but it was because they were chasing opponents around until the opponents got that shot. You know, I would see a lot of the times they would run the opponents, Spurs opponents would run like some sort of action on the weak side to get uh, because it seems like, and I'm not sure if this is the scheme for everyone, but I just noticed it a lot with, they would have DeRozan just switch on the weak side whenever there was action. Mm-hmm. They would run it some sort of action on the weak side, swing the ball back to the weak side with a mismatch, and, and then just keep swinging until they found an open look. And so I think now that they have the personnel out there, specifically Derek White, but even yeah. Pirtle being next to Aldridge, Pirtle is a very smart player, you know, just, just all these you know, cerebral players and, and other players. Like, Rudy Gay, I think, is someone who's been better defensively, especially this year, than his reputation was. Aldridge ended up being better. I think that, you know, the longer you're in the Spurs system, the better of a defender you become. And I think the same is true and will be continue to be true for DeRozan. So I think that it's the personnel is finally starting to click, especially when they have White on the floor, that they can play this, uh, like you said, this very conservative drop, allow threes, especially at the top of the the key for uh, bad three-point shooters type of thing. Yeah, and, and, you know, Derek is, that's why he's so crucial, the fact that he's so good about getting around screens and recovering onto his guy. You saw that against Luka, you saw that against uh, Trey Young, like I mentioned, where Pop's giving him the assignment of saying, here, whoever's the most craftiest player for the perimeter of the other team, you're taking that guy, uh, regardless of their guard, if they're a forward. And what, it's, what it does is it allows Jakob and Lamarcus to do that drop scheme where you know, they, they fall back and they're either, they're, you know, they're definitely protecting the paint, but they're also making the shooter wonder, should I take the mid-range, should I pass here? And, and they're doing a great job as well. So just the fact that you have Derek out there and he's able to do that against the whoever, like I said, the craftiest uh, um, offensive player is on the perimeter for that opposing team, it's just really helping the Spurs' the defense. And, and you see it by the numbers as, as they're starting to click here, even though they are giving up more above the break threes than usual. Uh, the, the odds are going in their favor in terms of, of teams not making those three. So let's stay here, Colin, going into our third topic, uh, staying here focused on Derek White. So let's just talk about now that he's, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, the season's almost over here, you know, less than 20 games. But let's just talk about it. It's, you know, it's only year two from how well he's been playing. He's averaging right now overall 10 points a game on uh, these shooting splits, 50% from the field, 35% from three, 76% from the free throw line. 3.9 assists, 3.7 rebounds, 1.5 turnovers, 1.1 steals, and 0.7 blocks. I mean, there's all sorts of different numbers you can dig up to, to show how good he is defensively. Um, you know, when he, just for example, cleaning the glass. When he's on the floor, the Spurs are holding opponents to negative um, 4.3 points per 100 possessions, which means that, that teams are scoring 4.3 points per 100 less when Derek is on the floor, which is in the 85th percentile. Really good numbers. Uh, defensive real plus minus from ESPN. This is something Bruno Passos of Pounding the Rock pointed out. Right now, he's second in, that, in that, that statistic among point guards. Last year, DeJounte Murray was first. So think about this. I mean, these are two guys from the point right now, or in the last two years, should I say, and the Spurs have the top one and two at, 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 in terms of de- defensive real plus minus among point guards. Uh, he just recently, he tallied a career-high six blocks. The only other Spurs that have done that, like, you know, recently, should I say, that, that, that are known for their defense are Danny Green had six one time with the Spurs. Kawhi had six. Murray, his high is three. Derek White has also had a, a career-high six steal game already this season. The only other players that have done that close to that, uh, you know, in recent memory are, are DeJounte Murray had seven one time, Kawhi had seven, and Danny Green only had five. So he's already passed Dan- Danny on that stat. So again, I keep bringing up, even though Danny and Kawhi are d- definitely gone, I keep bringing up Murray and I keep bringing up um, you know those comparisons to those two guys because those were known for the for a number of years as the Spurs' you know top two 
uh, um, wing defenders, and that's the reason why the Spurs were constantly in that top ten uh, when they had Danny and Kawhi. So now, you know, not only looking at this season, but also next season when you when you put plug Murray back in. Uh, what have you thought about Derek this season? But then also, you know, what the future could be when Murray joins them next year? Yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of uh, very kind of smart analytical thinkers talk about how maybe point guard defense isn't as important as other possession, other positions, and kind of listening to kind of his stats and, and how effective they've been for the Spurs, part of me wonders if that is maybe more true for a more modern, aggressive switching scheme where it's more important to be one-on-one. But this type of you know conservative drop system that the Spurs play, that point of attack is so important. And when you have someone like Derek White, I mean, he was defending Kawhi Leonard in both Toronto games. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not just... The guards, he can defend wings, you know, and when, when you say, like, okay, we're going to drop back to protect the rim, you still have to have someone chase around whoever's creating for others, and when you have someone who can do that at the level that he's done it, you know, I think that, uh, you know, maybe he's not as well known as some of the other candidates, but I think the only real uh, reason he should he shouldn't be in consideration for one of the all defensive teams has probably been how many games he hasn't played because exactly. of plantar fasciitis on both feet I think so I, I do think that that is a factor there but I think other than that if it weren't for that he would have just as strong a case as anyone I think he's been uh, I think probably better than the Spurs could have hoped for honestly for sure and Pops brought that up several times I mean uh, he's basically said that he's he, he was on, on record Pops was saying he's the second most important player for them this year just because of the, the part again that he brings on defense uh, you know I actually had that question yesterday on Twitter somebody asked me buy or sell Derek White will be named to one of the all defensive teams this year and I, you know, I wanted to say, you know, I, I couldn't just give a simple answer just because of the fact that I don't know how voters are gonna, how much they're gonna hold that against him. The fact that he has missed, you know, as of last night when I calculated, he's already missed seventy-eight. I mean, he's only played in seventy-eight percent of their games, seventy-eight percent. So he's missed twenty. Uh, I mean, he's he's missed over twenty uh, percent. So, um, you know, think, looking back at, at Dejounte, he did make the All Defensive Team last year, second, but he only missed one game all year. He was basically a hundred percent healthy almost. So, so I don't know how much voters will hold that against him. I know that voters that look at a lot of these numbers, like you and I, they're going to love that kind of stuff for Derek White. They're definitely going to favor him. But again, I'm not sure just right now because of the amount of games that he missed. Maybe if he plays the rest of the season and doesn't miss any more games, um, he has he has a better chance. But we'll see what happens there. Uh, here's a question that I've been getting. Um, you know. I, I, I'm in the camp of I think it's going to work next year having him and DeJounte next to each other. I, I definitely think that they're gonna, you're going to see a little bit of slippage offensively where they may not be uh, top 10 or, or you know, they'll, they'll definitely, they'll probably be better, you know, better than league average offensively. But I think that defensively, you've got to try that, 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 that type of two combo guards. I mean, just having Derek and DeJounte out there, how much of a headache can they be for, for teams? What, what are your thoughts on, on pairing him with DeJounte in the starting backcourt next year? Yeah, I think you definitely lose spacing. I do think that the starting lineup, some of the offense, is definitely unlocked by having uh, Bryn out there, you know, having a shooter and having that threat. And I do think that, you know, while uh, Derek is a good shooter, I think that, you know, if you have uh, DeJounte as kind of a primary ball handler and DeRozan as a primary ball handler, part of me wonders if you get diminishing returns on Derek because he won't be able to do some of the stuff he's done this year. He might be relegated to a spot-up shooter, which I think would would not be a strength. But, like you were saying, his defense is such a strong aspect of his game. And I think about, you know, we hear so much about how important space is in today's NBA, and it is important. But I think of the Minnesota Timberwolves last year with Jimmy Butler. They had, like, two shooters in their lineups, and they were still, like, top five offensive rating. I think if you have... 
uh, especially with offense. If you have the singularly talented offensive players, you can have a good offensive rating kind of no matter what. It's the defense that you need, the scheme, and the multiple players for. And so I think when you have a player like DeRozan, who will have been in the Spurs system for a second year, um, and Aldridge, who has obviously found his place in the Spurs system, and Derek, who's shown that he has this offensive talent, and I think Murray will continue to grow in his playmaking and all that, I think that that will be made up for with how good they'll be on defense adding both of them together. Yeah, for sure. And like you mentioned, I mean, just think of, you know, the improvement that they make defensively. Just think of like, just think of like somebody like James Harden. He he comes down, he's got Derek White guarding them, and then he gets, then he calls for a screen, and then there's DeJounte to pick him. That's how it's going to be nightly for opposing offensive players, especially teams that only have one guy who can attack. Uh, It makes it even tougher. Uh, so I definitely think that Pop needs to, you know, if they're both healthy next year, Pop needs to try starting them together at least 20, 25 game sample size and see, you know, what do the numbers look like. I definitely think defensively they're just going to they're going to be a handful for for opposing teams uh, next season when Dejounte does um, join Derek. Uh, one thing I want to talk about Derek is talk a little bit about his offense. Um, over the All Star break, here are his numbers. I mean, past the All Star break, should I say post All Star break, he's averaging 13 points a game, five assists. Five rebounds, one and a half turnovers, one, one and a half blocks, um, one and a half steals in eight games, and playing almost 30 minutes a game, 28 minutes. Uh, last night, which is a Tuesday night, and that went over Dallas, he, LaMarcus, and DeRozan all had over 20 points in that in that win. And, of course, Rudy Gay was uh, missing because he's hurt. But what do you think offensively about how – I mean, Derek, with the points and the, and the um, assists, is, is putting some close numbers to where DeRozan's at sometimes. Yeah, I think that, you know, he's he's becoming one of those players where he'll score a lot if the team needs him to. You know, I think we've seen that over the years with different, you know, actually with different Spurs superstars. Uh, you know, I know when kind of Timmy was leaving his prime and, and Tony was in the midst of it, when the Spurs were down by seven with five minutes left, you knew that Tony would go off. And, and it's one of those things where, like, not every night – White is scoring 20 points, but when they need him to, he will. And, like, that kind of thing, it's, it's something that's hard for stats to quantify, but it's such an important player when you know, okay, you have two stars on offense, two all-star offensive-level players, but if one of them's off, you need uh, contributions from somewhere else. And when you know that Derek White can step up and be that guy, uh, I think that that is a swing factor in a bunch of games. Um, I also just think that, like you're saying with the assists, to be able to get the ball to those offensive superstars in places that benefit them or to, to players like Bryn when he's open for three. You know, I, I think that it just kind of gets the whole offense flowing a little bit better. And, and I think what it's really going to be, uh, you know, sh- should they make the playoffs, which it looks like they are going to, I think it's going to be huge the fact that his confidence is starting to grow now in crunch time. You know, you saw that in the Dallas game where the Spurs tried to go a few possessions down, down in crunch time, uh, with, going with DeRozan trying to get the shots or trying to get it through LaMarcus. And then there was a play where Pop just calls for Derek Roller on the pick and roll, and he gets it. You know, he, he sees that the defense is kind of backing off, off the pick, and so he takes the mid-range jumper and makes it. So, again, he's very patient, and that just makes the Spurs way more, you know, dangerous because typically teams know that when crunch time comes, you know, last three minutes of a game, it's close. They're going to give it to DeRozan and see what he could create either one-on-one or with the pick and roll. Well, now it's going to throw some teams off the fact that, hey, we can just give it to Derek, the Spurs, and they can see, hey, what can Derek do rather than just, you know, what can DeMar do? And you've seen DeMar, you know, lose a few games here and there um, because teams know exactly who's going to have the ball. Now it makes it a little bit harder like yesterday against Dallas where it's Derek now running the pick and roll instead of uh, DeMar. So that, that I think that makes it even tougher should his confidence continue to grow as the playoffs get closer. Uh, for our fourth topic, call, let's go ahead and look at uh, – let's talk with the guy we're just mentioning right now, DeMar DeRozan. He's kind of had a bounce back 
um, performance now these last two months, uh, February and into, starting into March, uh, compared to how he was struggling in January. Um, mm-hmm. That's basically, you know, Dwayne Casey, his former coach, is on the record of saying, you know, he typically had a rough January for some reason. They noticed that in Toronto over the years. And so that, that was obviously the case with uh, the Spurs where he had a very bad January. So um, post-All-Star break, DeMar's kind of putting it together again. Uh, he's averaging 24 points, shooting 55% from the floor, 6 rebounds, 6.1 assists, uh, 2.7 turnovers, 1.8 steals. Um, I know, I know, and he's played 35 minutes a game. And I know, I know a big thing that a lot of Spurs media are talking about is, is how he's like one of the lead, leading guys for getting the, the players their, their three-point assists where he's, you know, he's, he's dishing out to three-point shooters. Uh, so what do you think about DeMar and his bounce back after having that rough January? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is, um, you know, I think this is uh, the first place I saw that, that stat about that was Becky Hammond's interview with The Athletic, mm-hmm. um, and Jabari Young, I guess, had that interview with her, and, and she had mentioned that, you know, they, I guess, were maybe not quite aware of how banged up he was because he didn't want to stop playing. And, you know, for someone who plays the way that Drozen does, I can see about January being the time when that hits him every year, you know, when he, he's just kind of trying to keep the team on his back. He... he with his play style, January just probably is when he lulls and then he gets rest because of it and then he comes back strong for that time. So I think that that is a big part of it. I also think that, you know, it was it was kind of surprising how well he started just because that hasn't been the experience with new players in the Spurs system, especially uh, high-level players that are just coming into the Spurs system that were already developed somewhere else. Um, and I do think that, you know, at the beginning of the year we saw... DeRozan playing really well and Aldridge not playing as well. Then we saw Aldridge playing well and DeRozan not playing as well. And, and it was kind of always like, man, this team could be even better if both of them were playing well at the same time. And that's what we're seeing now. And I think that's really important going into the playoffs because, you know, with their seeding right now, they probably wouldn't be the favorite against any of the teams that could face them. But it doesn't look as, as hopeless as it did before, you know? Yeah. All of the teams look vulnerable in some way, and while there would be upsets, you know, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be, like, the craziest 100% chance that they would lose to any of these teams at this point, especially with all the players clicking the way that they have, and DeRozan playing well is a huge part of that. Yeah, and actually, just to, to mention uh, what you just brought up was the fact that him and Aldridge are doing it together right now. If you look at their their post All Star break numbers right now, they're each exactly averaging twenty three point six points per game. <laughs> the, the, both of them uh, exact number. So you'll see DeRozan get a thirty point game here. Then you'll see Aldridge one night get a thirty point game. And not only that, they have Derek and Rudy averaging basically thirteen post All Star breaks. So I think that if you can get this type of team with these four guys um, heading into the playoffs, and if they're all healthy during a series, that they really have a good shot to um, you know upset somebody, especially if they're if they're um, uh, a, a lower seed, should we say, like in the in the five through eight range, like it looks like they're going to be right now. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, yeah. And there was another thing. Uh, I was trying to think of a nickname. I, I remember I put that on Twitter of the four. You know, what are they going to call them? Because I, I couldn't find any. Do you have any yeah. nicknames? I couldn't. I couldn't think of any. Oh man, I, I think I saw your tweet and I, I started thinking about it for a little bit, but I uh, didn't put as much. Yeah, no, me either. I, I think I got yeah. over it after a while. Because <laughs> on paper, you know, if you don't follow the Spurs, it doesn't look like Derek's that you know that impressive player on his base right. on his basic stats. You know, ten points a game, like we said, um, three three assists, three rebounds overall. But but now that you've seen it, if you really pay attention to the team and you see how well he's how much he does for on both ends, you do know that he's part of like what, what we would call basically their big four. It's right. Derek, Rudy. Uh, not in any order, but it's DeRozan, Aldridge, Derek, and Rudy. Those four players are that important. You even heard Coach Pop say he's the second most important uh, player this season for them. Um, all right, Colin, let's go ahead and get into our last segment, which is uh, previewing the upcoming games for the Spurs. So let's take a look at their next three before I record sometime next week um, for, for Spurs cast episode 533. So on Friday, they're hosting the New York Knicks, um, the Spurs. 
Now, before I get into these stats, uh, let's go ahead and look at our personal records. So my record on the Spurs cast is 41 and 22. Um, your record is 8 and 1, so you've only lost one game. You have, you have one of the better records <laughs> out of all our Project Spurs writers. Uh, so at home, the Spurs are 26 and 7. Offensively, they're 6th at home. Defensively, they're 12th. So they play the Knicks on Friday. The Knicks are 7 and 29 on the road, 29th on offense on the road, 23rd on defense. Um, the Knicks made the Spurs one of the laughing stocks in the NBA one night, you know, when they beat them in New York and, and stopped one of their, their losing streaks. And they even made the Oscars, basically, because, yeah. you know, uh, um, yeah, one of the presenters told uh, Spike Lee, who's a big Knicks fan, that the Spurs had, had lost to the Knicks. So, so you know, they were, uh, I think that this will definitely probably be a revenge game for the Spurs. What do you think about that game? Yeah, you know, I know that the Spurs uh, mantra is never get too high, never get too low. You know, like... Um, that game against Toronto in the AT&T Center, all of the Spurs were saying, oh, it's just another game. And you could clearly tell it wasn't. You know, they, they have emotional games just like everyone else does, and they're going to come out and have something to prove against the Knicks. Uh, I do think they'll win by a healthy margin probably, especially with how well they've been playing lately. I think that that win really, really frustrated them with everything that I've seen reported and, and different interviews from players. So I, I would be surprised if they didn't come out with, with a ton of energy and... Uh, win by a very healthy margin. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to go on. I think that they're going to win by, um, I mean, or they're going to at least have one of their biggest leads of the year. I yeah. think in this game, I think that they're going to be really pumped for this game. Um, I think it was uh, Jabbar Young, actually, of, of The Athletic, who had a story about how how Pop, the day after they lost that game, Pop kind of like put the headlines, found a bunch of tabloids and those headlines, and showed the players. So that basically it could give them a sense of pride, like, wow, you guys were the laughing stock one night of the entire NBA. Like, even Hollywood knew about this because, just because of how bad y'all played. So I really think that the Spurs do have that re- that revenge type of factor fueling them. I think that this could be a game where they have uh, one of their biggest <laughs> leads of the season. So I'm going to go ahead and take the Spurs like you uh, on that game on Friday night in San Antonio. Then, Colin, on Saturday, the Spurs host the Portland Trailblazers, so it's the second night of a back-to-back. The Blazers are kind of like the Spurs where they have some trouble on the road. They're 16-17 and 17 on the road, 8th best offense on the road, but 18th um, ranked defense on the road. Who do you have in this one between the Spurs and Blazers? So I kind of wish I had predicted some games wrong earlier so I wouldn't be 8-1 because now I'm trying to get the right one. <laughs> and this one, is, this one is tough because it is the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, the Spurs are playing a lot better than they have been the rest of the year. I think I think I am going to go with the Spurs. I think they've just been playing so well lately. I think that that is a, a scheduled street breaker, if you will. But I do think if they play as well as they have recently, there's no reason to believe they won't win. Okay, I'm with you. I'm going with the Spurs. And again, I'm really actually more hyped to see how, how um, Derek White does on either Dame or um, CJ, you yeah. know, whoever puts, puts him on. He's probably in front of him on, on Damian Lillard. So I'm really eager to see... Uh, Derek in that matchup because again that's a that's a potential playoff series right there. Just any of these teams like the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Rockets, all these teams could be potential first round series for the Spurs. Um, now this next game, Colin, is the one that I had the most trouble picking. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, here it is. It's Monday. The Spurs host the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors on the road are twenty one and eleven. They're first offensively on the road. Um, and eighth defensively. However, they're struggling a little bit. They're four and six in their last ten on the night that you and I are recording this. Um, they just lost an embarrassing game to the Phoenix Suns, although <laughs> the Spurs lost to the Suns earlier in the year too, so it's not that big of a deal for the Spurs. Uh, Kevin Durant is dealing with he got he got injured in that game, so so he's uh, he's right now listed as day to day. So they have a few more games before they play the Spurs on Monday. Um, assuming the Warriors have all four players, you know Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green in that game. Who do you have in this one on Monday in San Antonio? 
Kind of like Portland, this is a real hard one to decide. Normally it'd be the freebie, so <laughs> frustratingly it's actually the tough one. But I do think, you know, you talk about teams, like I mentioned with the Spurs and the exchange, that have emotional games, that have billboard or uh, bill, yeah, billboard material or whatever, and uh, get emotional and come out and play strong, it's the Warriors. And I think that, and maybe I've seen this somewhere or maybe I'm making it up, but it does seem like the Warriors always play the Spurs hard. I think that they were kind of, you know, they're like the the souped up version of the 2014 Spurs. They have, they play that system but with superstars kind of thing, like super duper stars, four of them. And um, I think that, you know, they took the Spurs for granted a couple times, like the very first game when Kevin Durant was a Warrior, their first regular season game. So I think that even though the Spurs, it's obviously a much bigger difference than it was when the Warriors first became the Warriors, I do think that that beating the Spurs still means something to them. It's a measuring t- st- uh, stick for them because they know how disciplined the Spurs are. And so I think for, for Kerr and for the players, they know what it means to beat the Spurs. So they always do come out real strong for those games and they are fully healthy. And even though Kevin Durant, you know, who knows what his health will be at the time, I do think that they'll win. Okay, so you're taking the Warriors. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. I went with the Warriors as well. And... You know, I, I went back and forth in this game just because, you know, right now you see that the Warriors on paper are struggling. They're 4-6, and six, like I mentioned, the last 10. Uh, they got some tough games coming up, too, the, the rest of this week. Um, however, I still took them just because of the fact that, you know, I, I got to see the Spurs do it against the healthy Warriors team, get that win. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Uh, so for now, I'm kind of just playing it cautious and taking the favorite, which would probably be Golden State. Although, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Spurs do pull it off like they did against Milwaukee and get a win that night. Um, so for now, I'm taking the Warriors in that game. So so we'll see how, how the Spurs do. We're, we're, we're both projecting them to go 2-1 and one, um, in their next three games. All right, Colin, before we end this episode, let's go through a few more um, reminders for, for Spurs cast listeners. Um, continue to check ProjectSpurs.com. Um, uh, Steven Anderson has his game recaps after each game. Uh, the latest prospect watch by Benjamin Bornstein is Benny Boatwright, a 6'10 big man from USC, which is a place, uh, which is the school that the Spurs drafted Chemezi Metsu from last year. So, so they have some familiarity, familiarity draft, drafting from that um, area, uh, part of the country uh, in that school range. Um, also, uh, our newest writer Noah uh, Magaro George, uh, he has his latest piece on Rudy Gay called "Rudy Gay um, Road to Recovery," just talking about how how efficient Rudy's been. Um, since joining the Spurs after that that horrific um, injury that could have could have um, possibly you know really de- de- derailed his career, uh, Colin, your your piece last week was called a closer look at the numbers behind the Spurs' defensive improvement. So so you know we talked a little bit about the, some of those things there, um, recently. So that's Colin's latest piece. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes, continue to leave us a rating and review. And then one more time, just one more reminder, Spurs Cast listeners, about that Spurs Cast Live again. It's Sunday, March 24th at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center um, in San Antonio. Uh, with special co-host Anthony A. of Energy 94.1, along with actor Jesse Borrego and New York Times best-selling author Shea Serrano. Again, 5 to 7 p.m., March 24th in San Antonio. Uh, lastly, thanks again to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode. For Colorado, I'm Paul Garcia. Thank you. Have a great day.